Welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We are doing a one of our mid-August shows, which we do periodically. Why not? Why not? Um, we are in LA to all together here um, today, because I know some people have been following this saga. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I got my Chinese visa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with one week to spare. Uh, which may not sound like it was a tight time schedule, but I was a little bit worried about it. Uh, did you see any babies in line with you at the there concert? Because I heard that people take newborn babies. Dozens of new, well, at least a dozen newborn babies were. Wow. In That's Olm Young Masuk, who's with us here in LA. He's been my, um, my partner on Team USA the last two weeks, and I appreciate that. Um, Team USA is in Australia, and I'll be rejoining them. I know for sure now I'll be rejoining them in Shanghai. So you're not withdrawing. Week. <laughs> I am not withdrawing. You and De'Aaron Fox. Although my wife would like me to withdraw to spend more time with my family. but um, <laughs> And this is Ramona Shelburne. And Ramona, we're in the studio in L.A. where you recorded, or at least I should say tracked, yeah. your 30 for 30 podcast that is out today, <laughs> The Sterling Affair. Now, I'm just going to say, Sterling Affairs, Sterling Affair. Sterling Affairs. Affairs. Because there are many. <laughs> <laughs> there were. Um, you've been talking about this all day, and I know this from book tours. I don't want to overburden you with blabbing on about it. We'll talk about it a little bit, but... I'm good. Will you... Honestly, it's been my life for like the last like five years, I know. right? So you, if, it's like my side hustle, right? The last... Like every time <laughs> I would see Ramona for the last year, she'd be like, yeah. well... We've got this interview set up for the podcast, and we've got to redo this for the podcast. And I got to fly to Detroit to talk to Blake Griffin for the podcast. And I got, I mean, you've been working on this forever. And it, you feel, when you listen to it, I listen, I listen to the whole thing, you feel the weight of the work, if that makes sense. You feel, you know, the, uh, all the interviews, you feel the, um, the editing, the, there's, Scripting, there's music. music. Yeah. yeah. You're, you give it in a very much more, Docile and professional tone than in this podcast. <laughs> so do you have you have memory? How long were you in this room? Oh, my people? God. <laughs> so Mario Ruiz is sitting over here. He's our engineer right now. Chris Morales over there. Uh, Adam Bronstein. Those are our, our uh, producers and sound um, sound engineers here at ESPN LA Radio. Uh, they have seen me have many, many meltdowns in this room because tracking a podcast a narrative podcast like that, which is like five hours of runtime. Unlike this, which is unscripted. This is actually Yeah, like, you're just talking yeah, right here. You just yeah. sit here and talk into a mic. Like, it, when you do the podcast, I have scripts that I'm reading. I have to deliver every line perfectly. You have to do each line like three or four or five different times because you want to give them different cuts to work with. Sometimes your voice sounds a little different on each day. Like I had a little routine. I would come in. I, we, we spent like very many days in here. It was like me, Raina Kelly from The Undefeated, who is like one of my really good friends in the business, was a story editor on this. And my um, my producer, Julia Lowry Henderson, she literally like flew in from Australia to like for mental support and like helping me track because it's not like that easy to read scripts. Like this is an actual job that people do yeah, called so voiceover I, acting. Yeah, so I did the last book that I wrote, the, the previous book <laughs> yeah. that I wrote, um, I did the audio book and it was very difficult. It took three days. Mm -hmm. I was exhausted. This last audiobook, someone else did it. So what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's. So you didn't get tips from Lee Shriver? Um, oh my no, God, but, that'd be amazing. Let me tell like, I'm not a trained actress. And like, there were parts, I mean, you know, cause you've listened to the podcast. There were some parts that I had to read that were fairly uncomfortable. 
I actually yes, got Donald. way too into Donald Sterling's depositions. And like, I thought I was going to have a, a harder time with it than I did. Like the first couple of times I was like laughing and then I was like, nope, you know what? Just get into character. Just be Donald. Just, Can I just say, do it. Cause this I'm sure was on the, on the <laughs> podcast floor that Donald's from the stories that I've heard, Donald Sterling's, um, how do I want to put this artfully? He was not afraid of showing off his girlfriends. Oh, yeah. And he was even not necessarily at times um, shy about certain acts with these girlfriends, not necessarily in public, but where people could see him. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it's a very <clears throat> fair statement. Um, Did I put that artfully enough? Is that what you call it? Listen, I mean, I don't know. It's what, like we don't a lawyer, right? Listen. The, there, there's no prudishness to the, to the podcast. Right. I mean, I literally like use the. But I'm word. saying no. But there's even there's some stuff that you couldn't say that I know the stories that you know that. Yeah. Like I've heard stories about plane rides and country car club. rides and country clubs and polo lounges and yeah, yeah. yeah. all of that. Yeah. Who's gonna play you in the movie? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be good. Um, it was interesting uh, doing this because usually when you write a story, you don't put yourself in it too much. I, I'm not one of those. Even when I do long form, I very rarely. We'll take the first person, but I sort of have to be in this. Like I'm the narrator. Yeah, but you're not in it, it really that. Is. I mean, you're in it a little bit, but it's not like it's. I mean, yeah, just a few moments where yeah. I pop up and I'll like yeah. give a few monologues here and there. But it is it is interesting when you are. It's sort of like the reporter's journey, right? Like there's a couple of these holy moments. Um, um I don't oh. know if we can do that uh, <laughs> on this podcast. Oh well, well. Andrew's got a bleep machine. Uh, He's guess, got it. Okay. okay. There's a few of these like oh my gosh moments. There yeah. you go. Um, where, I mean, I still remember being in my car, calling David Kraft from the news desk and being my crafty. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, she, when they were going to, when they were going to sell out from underneath them. So, one of the, and I don't want to give away the podcast, but, uh. Um, you can give it away. It's okay. The negotiations for Balmer, Steve Balmer to buy the Clippers were amazing. Actually, two negotiations, both about purchases of a team that you discuss in here. One is when Jerry Buss, Bought the Lakers, couldn't get the money together at the literally Ramona the eleventh hour. When when did Jerry Buss call Donald Sterling? It was like eleven o'clock at night, and they were needed to close in the morning. Yeah, and he, and he, I assume the Jerry Buss had been trying to yeah no somebody close the Lakers. Okay, something yeah. fell through. So he thought he had enough money to close the deal with Jack Kent Cook. So Jack Kent Cook. So when I'm tracking this, I have to say Jack Kent Cook. That's a hard one to say when right. you're tracking. Um, uh, you have to say I, grew, that a lot. I grew up in Washington, so, so you know. Washington's yeah. So he he had uh, one of the most expensive divorces in California history, right? He, he gets until the McCourts, until the McCourts, <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell the Sterlings if they would have ever got divorced. Right. But they're too smart for that. They, you know, it's just easier to stay together and keep right. your money together. Um, but uh, Jack <laughs> has to sell the team, and Jerry Buss basically like is stalking him because he just wants to buy the Lakers and all the holdings and. Um, he, it's this really complicated real estate transaction. Yeah, deal. he had to buy the Kings, the Lakers, the Forum, and some ranch up in Fort Tejon. Yeah, I, I, I want to know more <laughs> about this ranch. Like, was this a? I had to be a nice piece of property. It was pretty nice, actually. I think there's like there, uh, Jerome Stanley was like uh, in the podcast. He's an agent who used to. He was like the. You guys like the West Wing. Yeah. Okay. You know the Dulé Hill character. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's like the you know, Charlie, man. right? He was the body man. Yeah, the body man. Like he's like no, like the smart kid who's like out of law school and I'll bet and, I'll and, bet Jerry uh, Buss's body men could tell some oh, interesting oh, yeah. stories about oh, yeah. bodies. Um. Yes. <laughs> Leave it at that. Um. But uh. 
so anyway, so Jerome Stanley said like he one of his jobs was like to go up to that ranch and come up with a plan for like what they should do with it. Like, should we do a winery there? Should we do like tours? I mean, so he's so he's out, he doesn't have yeah. enough money at the very end. Yeah, he's three million dollars short. Some okay. of the financing fell through, and he calls up. Donald Sterling at like 11 o'clock at night goes over to their house and he knew Jerry Buss knew Donald Sterling because they were both just like real estate guys in LA in the 70s and they had a mutual friend named Frank Mariani who was actually still a part owner of the Lakers um, and Frank was like the social connector he was like the guy that knew everybody the mogul behind um, it was Buss Mariani uh, Enterprise I think is the name it was the corporation that owned a bunch of apartment buildings around Los Angeles and so Donald goes yeah I'm interested in, in, uh, in being a part of this, but I don't. I don't really want a piece of the Lakers. I, I just. I'll buy the apartment buildings from right. From you. I'll buy you. I basically bus couldn't find financing, so we had to sell off some apartment buildings at the last minute. Yeah, it was like eleven apartment buildings in Santa Monica. Oh. Can you imagine what those are worth now. Yeah, he sold them for three and a half million dollars. Like the last three and a half million, and I, he needed to close. Yeah, like in the morning, like they went to yeah. the bank and got the money. Yeah, literally, like went to the bank and got the money, and that's like how Jerry Bus was able to close on <laughs> sale. And you know, Jack Kent Cook wasn't sure Jerry was ever going to be able to pull that off. Because it was a really complicated real estate swap. It wasn't just a straight money transaction. Yeah. Um, why so, couldn't, why so, couldn't they just so, ask for more time? Uh, they just needed to close. I mean, that's how it goes. Yeah, he probably wanted yeah. somebody else wanted to buy the team. Yeah. So, okay, so then that's so that's a good, that's a good story. It's, it's told at more length than we just told there. But the other one was when Balmer bought the team. Now, to to go <laughs> over this, Donald Sterling had been declared mentally um, was it incompetent? What was the Incapacitated. Incapacitated. So now Shelly Sterling has a team and basically, I don't want to give away the podcast, but she's got to deal with the NBA. They're going to sell it. So she's taking bids, but she had to do a sale of a team in like 10 days or 10 or 12 days. So the mental incapacitation is what's called plan B. All right. This is her lawyer, Pierce O'Donnell. Who, I've heard of other plan Bs, but we'll let alone. Um, there's this, uh, there's this really kind of riveting detail that I, I keep thinking there's more to, but I think it might have just been a matter of course, but the Sterling family trust had been changed in December and it reflect, and it was changed to add a clause that you do fairly frequently with older people that if one of them is found by doctors to be mentally incapacitated or not capable of managing the trust or being a partner. And in this, the trust. all this went down in May. I mean, I don't know when April. the, re- April. April. I don't April. know when the recordings. They were actually- made in and around September. Okay. So the recordings were like six or seven months old, but the, so this, so just to give it on the calendar. So they make a change to the, to the trust in Christmas. And then right is the, remember the playoffs were, because yeah. like, it was the first round going on. So that's just at the timeline. So he gets to, so they, they go through the court case. He gets declared um, mentally. Oh, no, so wait, here, let's all back up a little bit, yeah. okay? So they, so so the recordings are made, and the only reason they ever come out is because Shelly Sterling, Sterling actually sues Vistaviano, right? And the she was mistress. she was like blackmailing. Yeah, it was a blackmail thing. Yeah, but it was because Shelly was suing her, and she just wanted her to drop the lawsuit. She's like, I don't right. want to give back this Bentley. I mean, the, kind of the whole point of being in a yeah, relationship. Yeah. By the way, he gave her four cars. Yeah. Why do you have to give a mistress? Four cars. And it was it was a Bentley. What else? Range Rover, a Ferrari. I, I heard one story about you know the some the Ferrari dealer that sold the that sold him sold him the car. It was like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar car. Um, I actually like ran into a Clippers employee and was like, "Oh, your boss was just here." Oh, and that's when the Clipper employee knew something was up because Donald wouldn't have driven a car like that. Well, that's my thing. Like, so he bought her a condo. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this condo looked like, but could she store four? 
no. six-figure automobiles? And the paparazzi who covered this told me, like, they could always tell when V was home because it was like, you know, she, she wanted a, one of those cars was out there. Like, it was always, you know, she had, she had like, colorful license plates and decorations. She wanted to be noticed. Yeah. Um, and what's funny, she used to live in this apartment. It was, like, this crappy little apartment in West Hollywood. And when we were reporting this, we actually went to the apartments just to see, like, the upgrade that she went from, like, once he bought her the duplex. Yeah. It's literally one street over. It's like on the other side of the apartment, but like that's LA real estate. You can yeah. be same as New York home. You know that. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're one street over and you're, you're, you're from like your starter apartment. That's probably way overpriced that you, you, when you first moved to town and you're trying to be famous all right, to like so, the duplex that your sugar daddy buys you. All right. So Shelly has, long story short, Shelly has the ability to sell the team. So she's got to sell the team in a short period of time. You know, these NBA team sales, they get negotiated for months. Sometimes, like this, just Joseph Sai, who just bought the Nets um, from Mikhail Prokhorov, that was negotiated over the course of years. Yeah. Okay, because he became a part owner than a floor. She's got to do the deal in ten days, or give or take, with ten or twelve days, something like that. Um, so now, tell the story of when. So, so there's people putting bids in. You know, Shelley's got a middleman, a lawyer who's taking the bids. But then, but then, what happens? So they, um, everyone's coming out. Remember Oprah. Yeah. Right. Oprah wants to buy the team and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, David Gavin wants to buy the team and it was like the bids and the money was astronomical. And there are those who have suggested that maybe that was part of the plan, that that was part of the design. Is like that, make them public to drive up the. Yeah. Well, no, not, no, not just make them public. Short amount of short amount of time. So you have a distressed asset, but it's a very valuable distressed asset. This right. is a team in Los Angeles. There's only 30 beachfront properties in the NBA. This is some great beachfront property. This is the, this is LA. And there's not a whole condition of like, it's, it's got to be sold before this NBA board of governors meeting on June 3rd. So they have 12 days to sell the team. And if they can't do it, then the board of governors is going to vote to sell the team. We're going to be tied up in litigation for years. It's going to probably, you know, who knows if, yeah. who knows what we get to next. Like, I don't know if the players were to come back. I, there's, there was a lot of people who were saying like, might just disband the team. Like, what would we do? Like, no, that break. wasn't going to happen. But it was yeah. never going to happen. But, like, this was – like, we were in totally uncharted territory because Donald was going to tie things up in court forever. But the, I think the thing is, like, I don't think these buyers were getting to her. These offers were getting to her. But Steve Ballmer so got she, her phone number. Steve Ballmer – like, and Shelly's kind of a night owl, so she's out in Malibu. And Steve Ballmer um, calls her up at 7 <clears> o'clock <throat> on a Friday morning and, like, totally wakes her up. Like she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. and he's like, hi, my name's Steve Ballmer. I want to buy the Clippers. And well, hold she- on, hold on. I just want to pause you right here a second. <laughs> By the way, Shelly, this is not like Shelly Sterling told this story on the podcast. Yeah. This is from her memory. Um, you're going to buy the Clippers and you just call up the owner and say, I want to buy the Clippers. That sounds basic. It sounds like how you try to buy a used car. That sounds like Steve Ballmer, though. You just get right to the point. Right. Just go for it. Yeah. And she Man knows what he wants. Right. And and he got her phone number. And he probably he probably was on like five cups of coffee by that point. Yeah, seven AM, yeah. (laughs) And totally amped up. Yeah, you're right. Or a microphone. Um and she doesn't know who it is because she's like groggy and sleepy. And she thought it was Steve Bomber. Like not Balmer, Bomber. So she calls up a friend of hers and she's like, "Hey, so I just got a call from Steve Bomber." And she's like, "It's not Bomber. It's a Balmer. Balls." He's, yeah. In He's the CEO of Microsoft. He has like twenty billion dollars. And she's like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. And they end up going to I think Nobu. She he, he uh, she always took all the meetings at Nobu. She would like go out to dinner in and then yeah, and and um, 
Balmer just really charmed her and she really trusted him. And I think one of the biggest things for her when she was deciding who she was going to sell the team to was not just the money, although that was obviously important, but she wanted it to go to one person because her and Donald had been a family ownership and she wanted, she didn't want a consortium. She didn't want multiple owners. She wanted like one person clean, quick sale. And I mean, it's not like you didn't have the cash on hand. The negotiation, this was the negotiation. Negotiation was she's like, she wanted two billion. She said, he goes, so how much do you want? Said two billion. Now, we've had three teams sell for over two billion now. But at that time, though, but the, the Bucks had just sold for what, Ramona? Six hundred million? Five hundred fifty million? Okay. Now I realize the Bucks are not the Clippers, but we're but just Still. to just to frame it. And okay? what were the what the Nets sold with Barclays? Right? They were different transactions. Yeah. Don't, don't pay attention to that. Um, so the. Um, the, and this is, by the, the way, war- just the Clippers. You're not buying any property. The, the Sterlings actually still own the Clippers practice facility. Oh, really? Yeah, that 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 in really Playa nice Vista? in Playa Vista. Yeah. So all the renovation work that's been done there this summer, yeah. Bulmer's been paying for it, but it's still owned by the Sterlings. Oh, interesting. interesting. Okay, <laughs> like so, she only sold the team. All right, so so he off. So she says two billion, which again is a crazy number at the time. It's a it's a ridiculous overpay. It's like um, three and a half times what the last franchise just sold for. Right. And Forbes had valued them at less than a mil- less than a billion. Right. Okay. And so she says two billion and he says what's his counter offer? One point nine. So that's a funny thing to that, that, <laughs> to me that's hilarious. Yeah. That's just like, well, you never take the first offer, right? You know? Yeah. You know But one point nine it's like the price is right. I'm gonna come right under the number. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. It's not much of a negotiating position. Um, so she says, no, I want two. So he, he greased the two, like right there, right? He just wanted the team. Yeah. Right. I mean, he just lost out on the, on the Kings. Right. He know? lost out on the Kings. And the other thing was, there was all these bidders. And I remember like reading stories about these bidders and they're, they're putting their bids together and they're trying to determine how much to offer. Okay. With our accountants, we've decided to offer 1.4756 billion. You know, Balmer's like, I'm just coming over the top. And the other thing that you described in this podcast was Donald's meeting with, Balmer, mm-hmm. because Donald Sterling, before he sold his team, he at least half of his team, he met with them. Yeah. This is part of the podcast that I just find amazing. Ramona, what was that conversation? What so was Bobby Samini, who was Donald's lawyer, um, and you know Donald had one lawyer. His name was Max Bleacher. He was like this eighty-year-old guy who had represented him when he moved the team from Los Angeles. But this guy named Bobby Samini was like he. Bobby's like a real lawyer. Max is a good lawyer, like a while ago. But <laughs> you know, it was let's just say he was not in his prime. Okay, and things happened so quickly in this case. Like by the time Samini comes on, it's like everything's already done. It's like you know he was still interviewing for the job like two weeks after the tapes come out. It's like too late already. So Samini comes in and he's just triaging, you know, he's just trying to give him some real representation, triage, whatever. And in the middle of this trial, he the, he arranges a meeting between Balmer and um, Sterling at Sterling's house over in Beverly Hills. And he, Bobby said it was a couple hours long. And, it, you know, I don't know if they were just trying to get Sterling to settle. I think that that, that was my guess. And that's kind of the inference there, because um, it was pretty clear Sterling was going to lose in the court case. Um, and... They, Samini says, he goes, yeah, Donald asked him, um, do you really have two billion dollars? Amazing. And he like, he like, I mean, he didn't quite know who he was. And he goes, goes, oh yeah, I got it. And he goes, don't worry, I'll close the sale. And, uh, and Donald goes, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Right. This is what I love. And he goes, goes, why do you got two billion dollars in cash? He goes, he said, you have two billion dollars in cash? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I got it. Yeah. 
And then Donald said, "Well, and Donald's a, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard." He goes, "If you got two billion in cash, you should be like investing." It. I mean, like Donald's a real estate guy. Yeah, right. You would never. He, he would, would never, never have two billion in, in cash. cash. Right. Yeah. You go buy something and have that appreciate. Or so. So first of all, you take the you take the money and you you let it appreciate, and you're and then you claim depreciation on your taxes. It's, right. It's a pretty good game. That's right. Pretty good real estate game. I just so like, like I just like the story about how like Steve Ballmer you know has two billion and Donald's like yeah. what? Hey, you're stupid. Are yeah. You? And it was like this, and and. Bobby has this great line about it being like a changing of the guard, right? Because we've seen this in the NBA. It used to be kind of real estate and oil mavens, and now it's more like tech money and hedge fund guys who own right, teams. Right. Well, anyway, listen to that podcast. It's um, we just went over two little small points that I, you know, I, I always get wrapped up in the palace intrigue. You know, <laughs> um, there's a lot more in there. Um, it's Los Angeles, so of course there's drama. You know, it it it, it fits it fits well here. Um, Still drama between the two teams it's juicy, and the ownership it's messy, and all that. It's icky. Arenas yeah. and everything. Oh yeah. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Ramona, you know what's hard? What? Having to sell a two billion dollar team in like ten days. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem to have. It's always good, especially if you need cash. You need yeah. It fast. Um, Quick close. <laughs> uh, you you know what else is hard? What's that? Hiring. Yep. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Ramona, where is that place? ZipRecruiter, man. Listen, I could have used some ZipRecruiter. I've been just executive producing this podcast for a while. Man, we, it took a while to find the right people. You gotta like, you know, I gotta, I gotta file that off to ZipRecruiter in like two you, seconds. You, here it was, you had it right in front of you because you know the ZipRecruiter sends your job to over hundreds of the of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter could have scanned thousands of resumes for you, Ramona, and found people with the right experience and invited them to apply for your job. And as those applications came in, ZipRecruiter could have analyzed each one, spotlighted the top candidates, and you wouldn't have missed that great match that you needed. Um, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Think about how easier it would have been if you had in one day gotten those people you needed. My God, I can't even think about that. <laughs> it just it depresses you? Well, next time that you do a podcast like this, which people will be never because of how much you had to go through, I don't even blame you for that. You know, it's kind of like giving birth. At the end of it, you forget. Okay, good. <laughs> well, next time, instead of giving birth, call ZipRecruiter. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. You know that already. And if you don't know how to spell collective, I don't know how you got this far in the podcast, but it's ZipRecruiter.com dash C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash collective, because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. I need ZipRecruiter to find me a wedding planner. Hello. No one is available to take your call. This year in L.A., you guys both live here. Um... This year in LA is going to be is going to be wild. By the way, did Kawhi have his uh, his braids in today, or did he have his hair out? Braids in. I was a little disappointed. He put I the braids the back out. in. Yeah. So I was at an event uh, where Kawhi donated a million backpacks um, to schools all over Southern California, and he announced it uh, with a uh, with a nonprofit. And so there were a couple of actresses there, like um, Zoe Deschanel and um, Busy Phillips, and so. 
he spoke really briefly, uh, oh, reading yeah. from something, and he you, you could barely hear him talking into the mic. Now, he was taller than the mic, but right. he was so shy. And like later, I talked to Jim Hill, the esteemed Jim Hill, and Jim Hill was like, Jim wow. Jim a TV personality here in LA. Yeah, he was like, wow, Kawhi is really shy. That man is shy. You could tell. And he went to um, go talk to a class, and then he was out the door and gone. <laughs> like, we saw him walk, and he was gone. Well, that's that's who he is. I mean, Kawhi is is Kawhi. I mean, you know, he you know, it's not like like he's going to change just because he came to L.A. I mean, uh, but like he, you know, earlier in the morning he went and stopped by, I guess, his old elementary school and uh, talked to kids and everything. And he's you know he's trying to reestablish his roots again in Southern California. Um, I think it's a really good thing they have Paul George on the team because For a lot he's of reasons, take <laughs> so much of that public facing role. You know, off of Kawhi's shoulders, like Kawhi can just go play basketball, and he has kind of like the way Kyle Lowry did in Toronto yeah, I mean, last year. And he has a head coach and that takes everything. Magic yeah. Johnson Award winner, like every every yeah. year. Yeah, I I I I think one of the interesting things about the, the Clippers is going to be when the season gets going, and we when we we're gonna we're gonna judge them. I think they're going to be a great team. It's gonna you know Kawhi has never played with. A guy like Paul George. This is a pretty gigantic departure for him because in San Antonio, it was a system based operation. And in last year in, in, uh, in Toronto, he was at the center of the universe. Um, he's never had a sort of a star to share with. I mean, yes, Tim Duncan, yes, Ginobili, but it was all about the system there. Um, so it's a, uh, it's going to be a like it's just you know my experience of being around these newly created super teams like I really do expect it's going to be a challenge and the Clippers have a bunch of travel in the preseason they're they're, they're doing a training camp in Hawaii which is beautiful then they're going to Japan but I don't know if that's going to be good or bad no they're not going to Japan I think the Rockets the are. Rockets are going to yeah. Japan I'm sorry yeah. strike that but Doc uh, does want to go to Japan but not this year maybe in the future. Well, they won't be going again because the reason they're going – well, I can't say ever. But the reason they're going is to be ahead of the Olympics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, so they're going – all right. That may, that works out a little bit better. All right. My, my, my brain was fried on that. But I just I just think that the Clippers – I'm going to try to temper expectations coming out of the gate. Really? I sort of feel a little bit differently about the Lakers. The Lakers' schedule, Ramona, is so favorable in their first 20 or 24 games. It's almost like it's set up that way. <laughs> but – <laughs> LeBron kind of likes to ease into seasons. Uh-huh. I think they got to have the gas down from the start. I mean, I understand why LeBron used to play that way because he was thinking about June. Yeah. I don't, you know, why would LeBron care about a three game losing streak mm-hmm. in November? But with as tight as the West is going to be, like in my mind, especially the Lakers first 14, thir- th- first 14 games are really nine of the first 14 are at home. Uh, 10 uh, are at home. Yeah, because, but really 10 because one of them is in Staples Center. Right. With the a Clippers quote unquote road game. Yeah. And most of those games are, are, in fact, the other four road games they have, only one of those teams had a, um, had a, uh, made the playoffs. But last I, year. I will argue against what you think that the Lakers, everybody thinks the Lakers are going to get off to a quick start. And yes, LeBron James is going to be motivated. He hasn't played an entire postseason in a long time where he's just had time off. But this team has a lot of new parts again for the second straight year. Okay. I know that they're but- going to China. And their coaching staff, they have a whole new coaching staff that doesn't even know each other. I know. And yet I still think they've got, like, here's the thing. We've talked about this before on this podcast. The Lakers 
schedule is is a football season schedule. That means all of their games, generally all of their big tough games are backloaded after football yep. season ends. So especially till Christmas, the Lakers schedule towards till Christmas is very favorable. Mm-hmm. They've got it. Like in my mind, in that fourteen games. Let's just assume that Anthony Davis and LeBron are healthy. It's got to be ten and four, eleven yeah, and three. Pile up the wins. Yeah, they got to like they. Like I know that this sounds so naive to me to say, oh, that November and December matter in the NBA. For the Lakers this year, I think it matters. They got to get up. Plus, you don't want the pressure to be on Vogel, right? How many how many quick starts has LeBron gotten off to under a new coach? Silence. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. And here's and you 100 percent right. If the Lakers are 500 after Thanksgiving, and you know how much heat is on Frank Vogel, especially especially we don't see LeBron talking to Frank Vogel. What's your impression he, of Frank so far? I think he's a great guy. And I think so far from what we've seen, his interaction with LeBron, and the very small snippets we're seeing at these little workouts and things like that, it looks good. It looks like Frank LeBron is trying to develop a relationship with him. invested in supporting Frank yes. Vogel. He came to his press conference. Yep. He's come to other things. He's been to – he's been – he came to um, – then the Lakers have like a workout or something, and he came yep. uh, a training camp, yeah. um, summer league practice. He came. Mm-hmm. LeBron has been more present in a summer with a coach than any time. And I can it's hard remember. not to like Frank. Frank is very personable, and LeBron does have a, have a rapport with Frank. They play each other in the playoffs yeah. many times. I think LeBron's going to try to make a go of it. That said, I know this sounds like a broken record here. July. And August LeBron are not January and February right. LeBron. He can have all of the best intentions in the world. It not be any sort of conspiracy. And he just, the, the, the it switches and the competitor comes out. Yes. And he can turn his back on you lickety split. Like, Wendy, so, they have a stretch, I think, at the end of November, but early December. Eight of nine games on the road. It's, it is a tough, tough stretch. And these are the type of stretches that, like, if this team is learning each other and still having a rocky start, those are the type of stretches that just, like, they, the pressure starts to I, mount. I remember, like, Doc Rivers used to use this uh, this uh, analogy before. Like, early season wins are like putting money in the bank. You just, you know, yes, they, you know, you don't judge a team December 1st and say whether they're going to be a championship team. Although, historically, teams that get off to a good start typically are the championship teams. Um and you put those in the bank so that when you hit that eight out of nine on the road or you hit that where, you know, LeBron's got a turned ankle right. or Anthony Davis got a, sh- a sore knee or something like that and you lose f- four out of five or five out of eight, you withdraw from that. The Lakers have to put some wins in the Last bank, year's right? Lakers team did not hit a stride until Christmas Day in Golden State. But then LeBron got hurt and Rondo got hurt that night and everything collapsed after that. The reason why I would make the argument of you saying – the Clippers, you don't know how fast of a, of uh, how fast a start the Clippers will get. I actually would argue the uh, the opposite. I know Paul George is going to be hurt. I'm not even expecting Paul George early on, but that team has chemistry already. They have the best bench in the league. They have Doc Rivers and his staff. They added Ty Lue. They have continuity, even though they are adding in a superstar. But that superstar's game seems tailor made to that team already. That's why I think the Clippers are going to get off to a quicker start than the Lakers. Hmm. I really like what the Clippers have just in the sense that they 
this is a team that pushed the Warriors to six games in the first round. They look great. They play, they play hard. They hustle. The only question I have, and, and I think this is a good problem to have, is the Clippers had one of the most deadly combinations in the league last year with that pick and roll with Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. Oh my God. It took down the Warriors yeah. a couple of times and scared them a couple of So others. what is, what happens to that now? And it's a Fantastic good problem to point. have. Okay. I mean, my assumption would be, that they will get their little segment of the game yeah. to play that way. Yeah. yeah. You know? Because they knew last year when they put that crew on there, that was their advantage. Their advantage was their second unit was going to destroy the other team's second unit. So to me, and this is the same question for the Lakers, who is going to be the third guy? Mm-hmm. I know Kuzma thinks he's going to be the third guy, and maybe he will be. I'm not there on Kyle Kuzma. How can he not be the third guy? Well, Who, who else is going to be? Danny Green? Well, Oh, I'm not saying that he's not he's not slotted into it. I'm saying, can he be that guy? I think Kuz can score with anybody. The only I think he can score anytime he wants. Um, the only thing is, he, you know, he was he was actually pretty good at adapting his game to what he needed to do last year. Um, other people needed like the ball in their hands all the time. Like I think that was harder on Ingram and Lonzo when yeah. LeBron had the ball. All the I time. agree with that. So I think Kuz plays off of LeBron fairly well. I think he's mature. I think he knows what he's. Well, there's a reason for. why he's still there. Correct. However, um, the rest of Kuzma's game is the part that ever, that is the question is, can he play defense at this level? Is he going to be a guy that can create his own shot? Um, he shot, he, needs three, he to? shot 30% from three. Yeah. And yeah. he just, like, I know he's working though. I know, I know. And, and like, that's your, to your, your point's well taken. Can he be the third guy? That, that's well, his, that's his what they got to figure out because otherwise they're, it, pretty soon they're going to have to decide if they're going to pay. To me, this entire Western Conference season is who's got the third guy. Who's Everybody's got the got third two guy? guys? Like, is you look at Utah? Yeah. Okay, they've got Gobert and uh, Donovan. And, and Donovan is 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 Mike Conley the third guy? Will he be the third guy? He's pretty damn good third guy. Yeah, yeah, right. That's why people are excited about them. You know, Denver. Okay, they've got Jokic, Jokic for and sure. Jamal Murray. They got Jamal Murray. Who's going to be the third guy? Mm. Is it going to be Gary Harris? Right. Is it you know? Is it going to be somebody else? You look at Portland, McCollum, Damian. Who's the third guy? You look at you look at the the, the Warriors. Will D'Angelo Russell fill in the shoes of Clay Thompson? And then is that third guy, is it, is Draymond? It's gotta be Draymond. I mean, you know, who's the third guy? That to me is, is the story of the Western Conference. Sounds like a sitcom. And I'm looking at, (laughs) I'm looking at the Lakers and they have a classic, classic case of that. Well, Kuz would argue that he shot 30% from three last year, didn't shoot the ball very well and still averaged 18 points. Almost 20 points you know, per game. I don't care about the points per game average. I care about efficiency. This is not 2001. You know? Or you can just be like Pop and don't focus on the plus minus. <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> I think Plop is aware of the plus minus. His point was he's not going to take any one-off game, which but, is fine. But Kuz defensively is an issue. Frank Vogel has said this. When I asked Frank Vogel specifically, like, hey, can you see Kuz potentially being that third guy? The first thing Vogel mentioned was defense. Yeah. And he said, we know he's an effort guy and we can, we can work with that first and foremost. For young guys, he shows the effort and he goes, we can work with that. Kuz says, even if he doesn't make Team USA, he's already become a better defender because he's been in these pop practices and he's been going up against guys who are playing way harder than say your normal pickup game during the summertime. Yeah, I mean, they experimented with him a little bit and knowing that, you know, in the exhibition game, they put him at center. But And we've seen in some of those USA practices, Kuz will get sealed off inside the paint real quick, and yeah. that guy will score pretty easily. He's not. That's not who he is. Yeah. 
The Lakers have a mismatched, a little bit of a mismatched roster there. They have two of the best big men. I mean, I'll put LeBron in as a sort of a big man guy because he can play inside. Two of the best we've ever seen in the league. But they're, they don't want to play that position. They By the way, to, they don't want to defend that position. I think you have hit it on the, the dot, Wendy. With this injury to DeMarcus Cousins, depending, obviously they can go out and get another big. We don't know who it's going to be. Dwight Howard's body may not be there. Mentally, he may not be there as well. Joe Kim Noah, same thing with his body. I mean, he showed some flashes at the end of last season. Even if they go get a young guy, let's say like Tyler Zeller type or something like that. I think LeBron is going to have to play some center this year. And I think there's going to be some convincing from the Lakers that are going to just be like, forget about the number five, forget about the positions. There's just going to have to be sacrifice from guys, whether it be Kuzma and things like that. And I know you're shaking your head right now because Anthony Davis doesn't even like playing center. But I think at some times they're going to have to look at that. I think you can probably get away with that in certain individual situations. I don't think you can ask them to do that on any regular basis. They just won't do it. Especially if they don't get somebody who they can use as a big body or let's say they ended up using one of their roster spot on, say, like Carmelo. You know, I'm sorry. What <laughs> I do? I think I was. I think Carmelo. You know something I don't know. I think Carmelo is. He is. His name is being mentioned. Wow, that would be. I'm not saying they're going to do it. That would be ins. Ramona, don't you think the Dwight Howard to the Lakers is just insane? Yes, I don't. Well, I I, I won't lose that word, but okay. I would say All right. I would be very surprised if that ends well up off what you think they need. Yes. And what about Carmelo? Um, I feel like that's I, – I don't hate that as much as the Dwight idea. Okay. I guess I can agree with that sentence. Uh, you know, uh, th- th- that's a sentence, okay? <laughs> um, that's the only way I'll I don't that. hate I don't... as much as that. Okay. I'll go so with that. So the reason – the Dwight idea, I just think there's too much history here. And while he could be helpful to them, I don't know how much he can play really. And the one thing that you need after this boogie injury is somebody who's going to stay healthy and you can count on to depend on. I don't know. Maybe I'm showing Can my... you depend on him? I mean, may- he might – high risk, high reward, I suppose. But he's been hurt so much. Like – Maybe you can't I'm, take another big injury risk like maybe that. Maybe I'm showing my age here. But I just have this parade of guys over the hill onto LeBron teams over the years. They never work out. Never. I can't tell you the amount of like 35 to 38-year-olds that have come onto the end of LeBron's team's benches over the last 10 years. I can give you the parade of names. I'm not going to. But you, they, they range from Shaq. You know, to Eric Dampier, um, to Tyson Chandler, you know, and it just doesn't work. It's just like you've got to have a guy who can help you there. They, I, I, I see it happen over and over and over. Like even LeBron, even Wade coming to the Cavs, even though Wade had some stuff left in the tank, it was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. It just, you've, <laughs> You need a role-playing young guy who wants to – I just uh. – And there are people – I mean, there are veterans who can fit that kind of role. Like, I think you bring a guy like, let's say, Jamal Crawford. Good personality, doesn't mm-hmm. need to take over, could do something like I that. I would disagree. I mean, I like Jamal, but I, I – no, no, no old – need to be the guy. No old guys. No old guys. <laughs> I'm going to play this back So, wait, no old guys apl- – does that apply to – that applies to Mello? Yes. No old guys. They – they need, they need. Look, I think if Carmelo was going to be a Laker, he would already have been a Laker many times over. I think that that, 
doesn't it seem like they had an opportunity last year when they don't have anything left to, to play for? They could have added him, and they chose not to. Right. So I definitely if you think just there... wanted to do right by him, if you're LeBron and you just want to do right by your friend and just yeah. give him a, throw him a lifeline so he can play for the Lakers and rehabilitate his image and his career, that would have been the time to do it. Well, no, now they can do it because of DeMarcus. But, there, but I think the reason why it hasn't happened is because there is some pushback in the Lakers organization. As there should be. Yeah, I mean, Mike Bibby, Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> um, Would you hold that roster spot for Iguodala? Jamal McGlure. Yeah, but you, Iguodala is not the same type of player as those guys. No. Iguodala right. was still very vibrant in the league last year. Yeah. <clears throat> Even though his age is up uh, there. Yeah. Um, no, man. I just, you gotta get a, you gotta get a real but player. But they need another big because you just can't, de- you can't agree, depend on but, Anthony but Davis and Jamal Iguodala is a, se- Iguodala is a separate issue. You get Iguodala. If you can get Iguodala, you freaking take him. And then you worry about your roster spot. Right. Kind of the, kind of the, like the real melancholy thing to me is, I think the Lakers are going to have to offload Boogie. They're either going to have to cut him out right. I know. Maybe it's not, so cold. not today, but at some point they're going to need the roster spot. They're going to, they're going to cut him out right or they're going to try to trade him. You know, he's got three and a half million on his salary. He actually has some value in a trade ballast, but like, I don't like, I'm sorry. They're going to probably have to say goodbye to Boogie. Like he literally may not be around the team. That's crazy. Which is what happened. Like, <laughs> Andrew Bogut signing with LeBron's Cavs team broke his leg, and I know that Bogut had a few minutes last year. But I'm just saying, like these were like the guys that were he's being available. Added. Yes, I'm saying like it's crazy. It's I mean, there's crazy. a lot of guys like there, it's, there's no shortage of available centers. I mean, I could just go down a list. You know, like Marching Gortat, Zaza Pachulia. There's I mean, there's plenty of guys out there. Gortat, by the way, like I don't even know. I like, I remember watching him toward the end with John Wall, and I felt like he couldn't move. Well, laterally. Gortat is a little bit. Gortat's a little bit better than – I wouldn't hate the Gort. I would I, – you know, like Tyson Chandler. <laughs> Tyson, Tyson, great in locker room, but I think physically no, his nobody body's ha- nobody has a Nobody has a bad thing to say about Tyson Chandler. But um, – Yeah, just, but his body just – Yeah. He, yes, he tried, you can't sign old guys. He tried so hard, Phoenix, you know. That's the thing. Like I know like people are talking about Joe Kim Noah. I know that Joe Kim Noah had – a bright spot or two with the with the Grizzlies last year, but you need a guy who can play fifteen to twenty minutes every night or every other night. I don't know if Joe Kim. I just look. I, I guess I could be wrong, but I just, I, I just, I just don't. I can't. I can't. I just can't do it. I can't spend any more time on this. Um, but you know, it's, I, it's I'm with you here. on the idea that you don't want to have players with a ton of baggage coming because it usually doesn't end well. I would say, though, that not every single one of those players should fall into the same category. That's a fair thing to say. You know, you've got to judge I, each guy. I mean, okay, does Vince fair. Carter, you know, he gets a job every I year. I wouldn't want them to sign Vince Carter either, with all due respect to Vince, who yeah. I have a great relationship with. I'm just being honest. Um, well, anyway, I mean, it's a it's a terrible blow. and. But here's the thing. Here's a, here's the thing that I you know I, I think fans actually thought that Boogie was like going to average twenty five and ten for the Lakers this year. That was not what he was going to do. But no. he but he could have helped them. He could have helped them win a handful of games. Yep. And um, he can get them double doubles on certain nights. He might not. He might have been a defensive liability. But you know, on nights that Anthony Davis rests, you had Demarcus Cousins. I know. I uh, you know he's. I know he hasn't always made the best decisions, but. 
I don't, I don't have a bad thing to say about him. And I feel, I feel bad that this went down this way. And I feel bad that they're probably going to have to cut him and he won't even be around the team at some point. That's just, <laughs> I mean, business. this is a cold business, right? And, and what I don't think you could call the Lakers cold if they had to do that. It's just, they will, they literally will need the roster spot. Yeah. He's going to get paid. Yeah. Three and a half million, but, um, all right. Well, Ramona, thank you for spending some time with us and you're busy, very busy. Are you tired of me yet? <clears throat> See me on like every. I, I was on Stephen A. Smith's show, and he was like, "How you doing?" I'm like, "Man, I, I've been on as many shows as you are." <laughs> <laughs> Moment, did you ever lose your voice during the podcast? Uh, a little bit, yeah. When I was tracking, there was like one or two. Day- actually, you know what? It was actually when we first started. Um, it was the day after the ESPYS, so I had like total party voice. Right? Everybody had oh, man, party voice. That yeah, because you go to the ESPYS and it's really loud in there all the time, and like you just can't. Um, it's like I, I wasn't even drinking. I was just like it was just really loud. So every conversation you have, you're like yelling. So the next morning we're supposed to track, and I'm like, I'm gonna need some tea, <laughs> some honey. It was like it was. A, yeah, we had to redo a lot of that. All right. Well, keep up the good work. Take a listen to the Sterling Affairs. You want me to do it? Yes, please. You can download it at the thirty for thirty podcast dot com slash Sterling, and on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And anywhere podcasts are found. That's your podcast voice? Would you like me that, to do it is like that? that podcast Momo? That was the mic that you actually were using, right? Yeah, that was the mic. All right. That's we pod- have like a special screen. Podcast Momo? Uh, I think I sound like... No, it's definitely a, a more professional sounding than, yeah, it's than definitely this more, amateur yeah. podcast. Um, <laughs> all right, well, Show thank up and you. talk into the mic. <laughs> thank you, Om. Thank, thank you. you, Mona. Um, I'm going to China. Oh China Wendy. China uh, Wendy. Maybe we'll do a podcast Have you been Momo. before? No. Um, I ate a lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was there. Dude, first of all, the KFCs, like in Thailand, the KFCs, unbelievable. KFC and it's Pizza really Hut are so good. They're yeah. better than in the United States. And it was like, I really wanted to have Chinese food, but if you're going to have no, really good Chinese Om food, you got to go to a proud... real restaurant. You can't just have the street food because you could get sick. Yeah, look, look, you go to Thailand for three weeks. At some point, yeah. you're like, I need a little variety. You're and a so proud I gotta go... Thai. Yes, I am. Um, I am a little worried about what you're going to be able to eat in China, though. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, you're going to be fine. I'll, I'm, I'll be fine. Uh, we'll be interested to see what sort of um, what sort of uh, condition I am if I'm in this pod- probably do a podcast from over there. Um, all right, thanks for listening to Collective Podcast. We will talk to you soon. Maybe I'll be in China. Maybe you'll never hear from me again. Otherwise, have a nice day.